So here it is, my very first podcast, very first episode, very first interview. During the uh, San Antonio Cocktail Conference uh, in January 2018, I was able to catch up and sit down with Pam to have a uh, conversation about uh, some of her projects. She's the uh, United States Bartender Guild National President, as well as uh, Creative Director at Seamstress in New York. First off, thank you, Pam. You made that interview so easy, so thank you. This podcast is going to be something that I want to be for the beverage community. And by beverage community, I mean the uh, wine reps, liquor reps, beer reps, the bartenders, obviously, your beverage directors, bar owners, people that do build-outs, people that work the door, people that do all kinds of supplemental uh, roles in the industry. And that is to give an overview of what it takes to bring to the end consumer uh, what we do in this craft. I hope that you enjoy these interviews. This first season is some of the people that I was able to uh, get in touch with that do something that is definitely in the peripheral of uh, our industry. But that's how I want to start it off. Because once we start to dig in, you're going to recognize a lot of uh, what you do, I think, in some of the people that are coming up in this uh, these interviews. I appreciate you tuning in. Please subscribe. Send me any uh, messages with uh, topics that you want to hear. Hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Hello, everyone. I'm David Dacry, and welcome to the Open Bar Experience. You went to bartending school. Yeah, absolutely. I am a <laughs> proud graduate of bartending school. Wow. and I live in New York City. And what do you do? I am the creative director of Seamstress, which is a bar on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And I am also the president of the United States Bartenders Guild. Okay, so that keeps you pretty busy? Yes, that is a lot of time of my life involved in at least those projects and many others. <laughs> so how's the, uh, the program over at uh, Seamstress? It's what would, how do you describe it? Um, Seamstress is a bar and also restaurant on the Upper East Side that um, focuses on very innovative, creative, seasonal cocktails um, headed up by our head bartender, Luis Hernandez, and a very amazing staff of bartenders, lots of talent, lots of creativity. Um, and yeah, we have really amazing... American fare as well to eat, and uh, we're just a really nice, homey... I feel like it's like your living room you're drinking in. It feels kind of great. Really? Yeah. It's it's comfortable, and it's nice, and people like it, and a uh, great place for a night out celebration or a lot of first Tinder dates, so... <laughs> we're our hub for that. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's totally. Funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd never done the cocktail tour over at... Uh, in New York. 
Yeah. I have family there. I go visit. And uh, since I started doing cocktails, I haven't been there. But yeah. I'm going to have to check it out. You will. There's a lot happening in New York City. Yeah. So we're the uptown contingency. There's not much of us. There's not many of us. There are not many of us, but we are few and mighty, and we're just trying to spread the cocktail love in other parts of New York besides downtown. Okay, so um, how did you get into the industry? I took bartending classes when I was in college uh, for fun because my friends taught the course. And so they said, just come and take the course, and then we can drink for free on Thursday nights after class with all the extra booze and go out. And I was like, that's great. It's like the cheapest pregame. So, um, and then I tested and I did very well and I did some side bartending gigs. And then when the recession really hit in 2008, 2009, I lost my job and I started daytime bartending at a sports bar to make money. Oh, and wow. there starts my journey, <laughs> full time. So you went to bartending school. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I am a proud graduate of bartending school. Wow. Which is why I love mudslides. It was like the one cocktail I remember the most in all, in all of the uh, literature that we had. Oh, okay. Yeah. Kamikazes are mine. Oh, nice. It's the easiest thing I can remember to make. Yeah, it's a Cosmo without the cranberry juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So great. Yeah. Nothing it, wrong. Know, in the 90s, it was like raspberry kamikaze, blue kamikaze, like every flavor kamikaze. There. Yeah, when the sour mix is on the gun, it's very easy. Yeah. It's such a dream to make. Yeah. 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 I feel you on that. Um, as a USPG president, uh, you deal with a lot of things. And I'm pretty sure you keep up with a lot of things uh, having to do with the industry. Um, the non-tipping movement seems to have gotten a lot of press recently and um, has a lot of people talking. What's your, what do you think about it? Or what's your position? Or what's your thought? What are your th thoughts? Well, when I speak, when I speak on this, podcasts, I speak individually as myself, as Pam Wisnitzer. I don't speak as president of the USBG because okay. when we make decisions as for the United States Bartenders Guild, we do it as a board of directors, which are nine people who work together as a collective voice to represent the organization. So there's no singular voice. It actually is a board that very much works together in our capacities um, to come together as a singular voice. So okay. um, in my personal opinion, as Pam Wisnitzer, uh, the non-tipping movement is tied in with um, a fixed culture of tips included in the pricing of the food. Uh, so we're talking like a Danny Meyer model that he moved to in which all front of house and back of house costing um, is now in food costs um, up front at a meal. And then it is, you know, a fixed amount of salary that you get working at that spot. Um, it's a different model. I do not believe in it. I don't really think that I'm still very suspect of other people touching the money in which that is supposed to be going to the front of house. Um, <clears throat> I, I think in some ways you are inhibiting the ability for people to make a greater amount of money um, where they work uh, when they are unable to be tipped out. I do think there is an issue in tip culture in, in which, you know, you work slower nights or you work busier nights and it's going to very much dictate your bank account. Uh, but there are some really great um, programs that people are doing at their bars, like my friend Trevor Fry down in Washington, D.C. at 5 to 1 is doing one in which um, the tips from the entire week are pooled. And then, you know, just based on your hours, you are tipped out. So it doesn't matter if you work the Monday shift or the Saturday shift. It means that you worked a shift 
you worked in-house. You put your hours hours in-house and everyone gets paid out for that, which then lets people think, I don't have to work the Saturday night <clears throat> insane shift. I can work that Monday night and feel like I'm not getting the short end of the stick. So there are some really great things that are happening and some more innovative ways to tip out people. Um, but Actually, then, I really like that because it means you don't have to work a Saturday night. Correct. And it it's nice because we've gotten to this really nasty habit believing that we have to work Thursday, Friday, Saturdays in order to make the most money. But imagine the ability to be able to have maybe the Monday, Tuesday, Friday shift and be able to make as much as someone who makes a Sunday, Saturday, and Wednesday um, just because you all pull everything together, which means everyone's working together in-house. It's a really beautiful model. Um, yeah, and I, I like that better also because uh, I'm, I'm with you in that I don't like uh, someone else touching the, uh, the tip money. Um, and I think that there might, the people right now that are pushing it may have good intentions, um, but that doesn't mean that everyone will have the same intentions once it's implemented. Well, isn't the roadway and, to help paved with good intentions? Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily, I, you know, we're lucky to live in the States. If you live in anywhere else, like most places in the world, they don't even have tips. You know, right. and they're salaried and, you know, what a bartender makes in London versus what a bartender makes in any city in the United States is, is laughable. And I, I love my friends in London. Don't get me wrong. I think what they do is amazing. They do get much higher hourlies, but they don't make tips. And we make a lot more money as bartenders over here in the States because we hustle harder. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the future of the USBG. But as you just mentioned, okay. that is something that... We can talk about as a as an organization. As an organization? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, the USBG, uh, regardless if you are a gung-ho member or you're somebody who has, you know, negative feedback or thoughts that you want to put out there, the USBG is a trade is a trade organization. It is not a union, okay? It's, we're not here to represent your rights or anything else. We're a trade organization to help, to help promote... Uh, professional bartending and the the industry that goes around professional bartenders to advance the career and the craft of professional bartending. And what we are working on as the board of directors in this next year is to help give extreme structure and shape to our chapters and for our leaders so that they can build and they can foster very healthy local chapters so that members have much more engaging and active content and programming in their chapters. And our biggest goals are to help develop our leaders, um, giving them the tools that they need to succeed, um, helping to develop and give our organization much more structure so that way we, you know, we are bulletproof um, in a way with everything that happens and to also um, engage our sponsors um, at a higher level so that we have much more innovative programming and we're also pushing the envelope and expecting more out of them than just, you know, the, the basics that we normally get. And we think that that's going to help our membership uh, have a higher level level of satisfaction um, and also help our chapters become stronger because we think that right now over the past years, as we've been developing since we adopted bylaws really in like 2013, we haven't been able to designate that kind of time and dedication to the structure of the organization. And so that's what we're working on. And I think it's extremely exciting. So is the idea to... Uh to have the local chapters focus more on execution rather than having to come up with the ideas and the... It's, uh, it's to give the structure to the chapters, to the chapters on the local level. Because right now I feel like we haven't been able to give them fully flushed out plans 
to as to how you run your chapter. And so what we're doing is saying, here's structure. Here's how you run your chapter. Here's how you build it. Here's how here is your position as a local leader and how you do it. Um, and here's check in points to make sure you are doing it so that your members are like my leaders are responsible as well, because you owe it to your local members to be responsible if you have a leadership position. Uh, and so that's what we're doing. We're creating a better checks and balance system and a more better structure. Uh, so people have great content. It's up to you to sometimes also self-generate the content, uh, but giving you the structure will allow that process to be easier. Okay. Yeah. So then along with that, what do you think is the future of a position, for instance, a brand ambassador, right? Uh, five years ago, it seemed like everybody, that was a, a very viable career path for a lot of uh, bartenders that were seasoned. And now it seems like a lot of that that position is being restructured. Yeah, I mean, I think a brand ambassador position will always now be around for a brand, depending on what they are. But I do believe in the next like five to ten years, we're going to see a huge restructuring of what that position requires. Um, I think eventually we're going to fade away from purely education and it really being a morph and a hybrid of education and sales, and potentially marketing as well. Um, I think as margins become a bit tighter as they grow and expand more outreach via social media and alternative platforms for advertising, they're also going to shape and shift what happens on premise. And we're not just going to have these people who just go around and do some trainings and that's it. We're going to expect more of these brand ambassadors. Uh, you know, maybe there's a lot more event ex execution that comes with it. Perhaps it's more marketing strategy. Perhaps it's having higher KPIs and sale initiatives. But I do believe that position is going to become a little bit more demanding. There, I think some of them are going to be consolidated as well. We're not going to have as many in certain areas um, because we've already seen money in companies be restructured as they're expanding out to countries such as China, Africa, India. And where do you pull funds from? The United States because there's already a, it's already a chartered territory. Okay. So what other positions do you see might uh, being created? Well, I, I mean, I, is this just consolidation so there's going to be less? I would really hope that um, some people in the bar industry eventually are going to be interested in going back in-house a little bit more 9 to 5. Um, I'm hoping that uh, some companies will have, <clears throat> will have programming to offer, especially bartenders who are interested in maybe more... Um, manager positions in-house for companies brands um executive mba tracks that they might be able to take that companies sponsor so if like we is an mba is required for the position that the companies help pay for it while we you know while we tackle you know uh, a job plus education because i think we come with an amazing skill set and for those who then want to get back to the desk sides part of it whether it be like you know innovation teams uh product development um you know, a brand manager position, which I think bartenders and brand ambassadors right now are positioned really, really well to potentially be a brand manager. Um, sometimes education is a requirement, and I would hope that companies would want to invest back into people who are already part of the community and grow them into better better leaders or not maybe not even need it anymore and just say, if you've done a certain amount of time in the industry in this capacity, that's enough for us to show that you might be really great for this position. So I, I hope to see more people getting, maybe going back to the desks in a way, because I think the more of us that make decisions on the back end and the higher end, the better it's going to be for this community in the future. No, I, I agree, because I think that when, uh, 
your income is tied to understanding consumer preference um, once you get to, like you say, brand manager. Uh, the decisions are so much clearer. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. So, shifting to different subject, um, you're a big proponent of uh, moderation when it comes to drinking. I mean, look, to each their own. I just, I've learned in my life with my body and, and my mind and my schedule that I, I do not partake in drinking so often and so heavily. Um, and I, I think that you are able to become, be more productive um, when, un, when exercising control in your life in many capacities. So there can be times that you can overindulge. That's fine. We all do it. But you have to also exercise control. And control and restraint might mean one day of the week I had a bottle and a half of wine with a friend and then I didn't drink the other nights. And that's okay. That's still moderation. Um, but I'm not here to critique other people's lives. It's their decision. It's their decision. There's this their life. But when you're making choices that are very like detrimental to your productivity, productivity and your life, that's when we, you know, might have to intervene to ensure that you're not <laughs> you're not going down the wrong road. No, I yeah. Um, I, I went to the, the health uh, seminar. And one of the things that was pointed out is, which is very real, is that you know a lot of times whenever we're drinking heavily, you don't roll out of bed until it's almost time to go to work. So it could go weeks, and it's happened to me to where you don't see any sunlight. Yeah. Which is something that's very fundamental and and for your health. Yeah. I I wake up naturally really early in the morning. Like I went to bed at two thirty last night, and and my body woke me up at eight a.m. And I it doesn't matter what time I go to sleep. I will wake up around that time. I, I know people like that, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm not that. But you know, but the other thing is that with productivity, emails start coming in at nine in the clock in the morning. Yeah. Whenever there's a demand on your time. Right. I think that yeah. And so for me, I I do not have the ability or the opportunity to sleep in until noon, knowing that I have clients and people who need me starting at nine a.m. Because whether or not we like to say we lead traditional or untraditional lifestyles, the world still functions on a nine-to-five schedule, and I need to hold that as office hours as well. Um, it's only fair, and that's the only way that you're going to get ahead is by you know adhering to the schedules of your clients and the people you work with. So what are the things you do to uh, stay healthy? Um, I try to work out every day in some capacity. At home, I do yoga every day, like very intensive power vinyasa. Um, even on the road here, I've worked out almost every day and I've been on the road since Saturday um, and running like you know stretching doing lots of like weightlifting and um, you know circuit training uh, it's just important because it it keeps you strong like physically strong uh, more than anything else and gets your brain moving also first thing in the morning I try to always do it first thing and when I wake up it just kickstarts your day um, try to eat a healthy balanced diet when I can even when on the road so that's my next question. I mean, it's hard enough working late, having a uh, good eating habits. What about being on the road? Yeah. yeah and then don't... whenever you're home, I guess you're working late. Yeah. You don't have to have bad eating habits just because you are on the road. Like, you can have a, you can use scapegoats whenever you feel like it, but uh, it doesn't... <clears throat> it's your decision in the end. It's your life. It's your decision. So you can eat unhealthy if you'd like to, or you can make some great decisions. Like, you can say, I'm going to... You know, I'm going to have 
make sure there's fruits and vegetables and some protein in some capacity linked into my body. Like today I had five, taco- five tacos. I've had five tacos. But like I also know that I ate extremely well early in this week because I was going to have lots of tacos this hey, week. Tacos are, are, are healthy in Texas. Yes, they're absolutely healthy in Texas. There was lettuce on my tacos this morning. Yeah, you see, there you go. Yes, lettuce on, and tomatoes. And sometimes so, there's cilantro. And sometimes I had cilantro on my tacos this afternoon. See, two greens already. Yes. So, but I will say, like, I'm already thinking the fact that I had tacos today. So when I have dinner in a few hours, I like, I really want salad to be incorporated in there in some capacity I want, or greens of some sort. Like, I just want to round out everything. Um, I was raised this way, though. Like, I was raised having a healthy diet. Um, and I don't deprive myself of anything. Like, I have sugars. I have, like, fatty things. But I just make sure that everything's balanced and you know, that everything is, is, is moderation. Um, you know, don't, don't deprive yourself of anything. Life is really too short, but make sure that you are balancing it all out in the end. So do you think that being conscious of it? Because hearing you talk, um, you know, I think of all the people, people I've worked with and work with, um, who they just forget and myself included, just forget to eat. Yeah. I mean, not think about it. You get involved, you know, you get caught up. Well, I think, like, if you're already at a point in your life, you're a bartender, and you haven't done that smart thing where you have a little snack bag and you bring with you, like, you know, uh, a clementine, a little bag of nuts, uh, you know, a power bar, and um, honestly, it could be a little bag of gummy bears, just something to give you a little, that little sugar kick. Like, that's fine, but that's, like, enough... You know, you have you take a one or two minute break. You can shove some some of that into your mouth and keep going. Like you have to know yourself at this point. We're not dumb. We're not like twelve year old kids. We are grown adults. All of us are grown adults, and we know how to take care of our bodies. We're humans, and you just have to make really good decisions at times, even when you feel like you don't want to. And it's okay to have be four a.m. and shove a slice of pizza in your mouth. Like you have just burned like thousands of calories on your feet. You know, bartenders can burn on average like. 160 calories an hour, maybe more, just like by standing on their feet in a bar without even moving that much. So don't deprive yourself. If you need something, go get it. But don't, you know, if it's 4 a.m., you don't have to rip five shots of whiskey all of a sudden and then go to sleep. It's just not necessary. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. There were times uh, in some of the places I've worked at recently um, where we would just hang out after work while closing and doing checkout and all that without drinking. And the hanging out was actually the part that was more important for us than it was uh, the drinking part. Yeah. It seems like the drinking part is to facilitate the, uh, the, the communal aspect of the industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I drink like soda waters after work or there might be root beers that are open from a drinker that we have on our menu. I love tonic water. Yeah, yeah, and teach their own. Listen, I honestly think it's really nice when you have a beer and you unwind or you have a glass of wine and you unwind. But when one becomes two and two becomes three and three becomes five is when it becomes dangerous. You know, one to two, you earned it. Do it. Have it. But just remember, the longer you're sitting there sometimes drinking and unwinding after work, the later it is that you get home. Like, I'd rather clean my station, close it out, count my money, sign out, and get home and get in bed. But that's a personal thing. And, again, teach their own. Just remember, you know, to make good decisions and use moderation where you see it fit. Okay. Well, I hope to uh, be able to do this with you again. Yeah. Um, I know that it's... uh, Oh, by the way, we're at... uh, 
San Antonio Cocktail Conference. Yeah. So there's tons of events. So we're going to head out to some of those. Thank you. Thank you for your time. this podcast please subscribe check out the episode notes for pam's social media as well as her blog until next time keep the conversation going